Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Beyond 1894 podcast. My name is Kelly Cole. I'm the research communication specialist for Louisiana Tech, so I deal with everything research. And today we have Dr. Paul Jackson and Kelsey Shoemaker with us today. And they're going to be talking about some research that we have going on on our South Campus. Um, and they, they can speak to it more than I can. Um, but it's about Sondrager trees. And I personally thought that this was a really interesting topic because um, really no un- other institution that we know of is doing research on Sondrager trees. So um, hi, Dr. Jackson and Kelsey. How are y'all doing today? Fine. Thank you for having us. Yeah, we appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. Yeah, so why don't y'all give a little introduction about yourselves and, you know, what maybe your title is or what you're doing here at Louisiana Tech. All right. Well, I am a master's student um, in biology, and I am currently working as Dr. Jackson's uh, graduate assistant on this project involving Sondrager Pines. Um, I did get my bachelor's degree here at Tech in ag business, plant science. So Dr. Jackson and I I have actually um, worked together closely on research projects before, and so we're able to continue that um, with this graduate study. So, Yeah, I'm an associate professor of plant science. Uh, I teach plant science courses in the agricultural uh, curriculum, ag business plant science curriculum. Um, My research uh, focuses on tree seedling quality, uh, and, um, and nursery management of those tree seedlings as they are produced. So um, over the years, I've been working on hybridization uh, research that involves uh, Sondrager pine. And so we've kind of developed an ongoing study that required the assistance of a graduate student. And so Kelsey was able to take on that challenge. And I'm, I'm uh, looking forward to the research we're currently doing and we'll, we'll uh, be doing in the next two years. So... Dr. Jackson, for those of us who don't know, what is a Sondrager pine? Like what is, I had never heard of that before. So Sondrager pine is a hybrid between the two common southern pines that we have in uh, the southeast Gulf Coastal Plain, Loblolly pine and longleaf pine. Um, They naturally hybridize because pollen flight overlaps a lot of times. And when seeds are collected from cones, and those seeds are sown in nurseries, these pine trees naturally uh, start to emerge in the uh, soil if they're grown as a bare root seedling or in containers if they're grown in a container uh, nursery. And they're traditionally um, uh, culled and not used, Uh, but answering your question of what they are, that's what they are. So Kelsey, why are, why are we doing research on these, and, and what does that research look like? Yeah, so why the interest? Um, and for us, that really goes back to what happens in the nursery setting. And when I, mean, when I say nursery, I mean places that are growing tree seedlings for reforestation purposes. So after a certain acreage, after um, a certain acreage is of a forest plantation is cut, and the timber is harvested, well, what happens next? Well, they look to nurseries to provide them with seedlings um, to start that whole process over again. And so when it comes to producing lonely pine seedlings, either for reforestation or afforestation, whatever the purpose may be, um, those seedlings are um, produced, of course, at the nursery, And as Dr. Jackson mentioned, those 
cones that are collected from longleaf um, seed trees from a seed orchard orchard can collect or can contain some of those hybrid seeds. And unfortunately, um, at this point in time, there is no way to distinguish a hybrid seed from a longleaf pine seed and without DNA testing, of course. So without having that information, those hybrid seeds are sown in the nursery. And as Dr. Jackson mentioned, they are also uh, culled before being shipped to outplant, shipped to um, foresters for outplanting. So again, why all of this interest? Well, basically, because they're, they're culled because they don't have a market for sonoregger pine trees at this time. Um, so basically, in the literature, what there can be found about sonoregger is very little. And what typically is said about them is that they are unmerchantable, that they are a limmy tree, which is not very good for making wood products because those leave knots in the timber, which can weaken the wood, basically. There's also questions about Sonderegger's um, disease tolerance and just basically um, issues with overall form. And what we're trying to do is actually call that into question because those observations have never really been proven through real data, through real numbers in any literature whatsoever. So we are trying to, that's where Dr. Jackson and I come in, we are trying to actually look at these Sonderegger trees, study their morphology very closely, how they develop over time, to actually start answering that question with real data, can these Sonderegger trees have a commercial value? Right. And Louisiana is a leader in the forestry industry and in the lumber industry. And so um, I thought it was crazy that we're just throwing away trees. Absolutely. I mean, I talked to both of y'all and I was like, what about the environment? What are we going to do? What about the, you know, we're always talking about a lumber shortage, especially in the last few years of the shortage of things. So the fact that we're throwing away trees, it's crazy to me. But uh, that kind of led into my next question is, does this look like a quantitative approach to research? Is this a qualitative, you know, is this more of like what they look like or have we gotten to the numbers portion of this research? What does that look like? Well, I would say it's definitely a combination of qualitative and quantitative. Um, so our observations are going to be based mostly on um, a plot of 400 Sonoregger trees, which were outplanted on the Catahoula Ranger District of Pisatchee National Forest. Um, and that portion of this thesis work is going to be a little bit more descriptive in nature. We are going to be looking at uh, like the number of branches on the tree, needle and bud development, uh, forking potential, things like that. But there's not going to be a very strong, I guess, statistical analyses um, that go along with that portion of the project because we really don't have uh, groups available that we're comparing with, with each other. So we don't have access to similar age longleaf or loblolly uh, pine stands that we could compare the data that we're collecting with the Sonderegger trees. Um, but this fall, however, we will be conducting a seedling trial 
where we'll be looking at um, morphological attributes of Sonderegger pine seedlings and comparing that with other southern pine species that are commonly planted, like, of course, we've been talking about longleaf, loblolly, and we'll also include slash there too. And um, so we'll be comparing those, getting a baseline idea of what or how a Sonderegger seedling could perform uh, after it's outplanted with that information. So definitely a lot more quantitative with this seedling uh, trial coming up. So with all that being said, what are y'all currently doing in terms of this research? Okay, so right now we are actually in the middle of developing a, what we're terming a Sondi scoring system. <laughs> we've short, you know, Sonderegger is such a mouthful, so we've just kind of <laughs> shortened it to Sondi. That's our little nickname. Um, but yeah, we're developing a, a, a Sondi scoring system in which we will grade our study trees. Um, they're approaching age, where they are age five at this point. Um, we'll be grading them on their form, their disease tolerance, um, and some parts of physiology as well. And so right now we're going through all of those important components of what makes a tree um, commercially um, viable, basically, and putting Sonderegger up to that test, basically, as best as we can while they're in this stage. And right now we're looking at all of those variables, determining how we're going to measure them and putting that whole system together. And I think that's something that we're really both looking forward to and seeing um, come together into the big, <laughs> the huge thesis that I'm <laughs> writing. <laughs> so Dr. Jackson, what's what's next after that? What's next after this Sondi level system? <laughs> <laughs> so the, the, the tree is um, you know, called into question. Uh, it has been for almost a century and not utilized for that long. And so at this point, Kelsey's research is describing it at that age, like she said, and we're going to have that quantitative uh, analysis um, along with a descriptive qualitative um, type of approach. Um, these trees will stay there and we've got, you know, 400 were planted uh, after some mortality and we had some uh, uh, over the years, some have passed, uh, uh, not passed the test of time. So we've down to about 300 trees, but that stand of trees will, will stay there. And the idea when we planted them was to watch them for at least 20 to 25 years. So, so maybe we could, you know, report on them about every five years, give some type of growth analysis, give some type of morphological assessment. Um, work has stemmed from this, which is pretty interesting. Back in May, we had a um, invite from a Southern Silvicultural Program a meeting uh, that's headed up by the uh, U.S. Forest Service, and we were invited uh, to give a tour of our field plots. And there were about 20 uh, silviculturalists from the South, from agencies and the Forest Service, Natural Conservation Research Service, Wildlife and Fisheries, that saw our research. One in particular reached out to me and wanted to do a really large follow-up study looking at how Sonderegger pine compared to loblolly and longleaf pine as far as uh, fire tolerance and different amounts of fire, uh, excuse me, fuel loads on the plots. So that would uh, cause us to have to plant more plots, interplant those three species in Louisiana, probably adjacent to where we have these. And then um, this particular scientist is located in uh, Alabama. 
we would uh, probably mirror the trial either in Alabama or Florida. So what has happened is people are getting interested, and these are just these are these are silviculturalists that understand the importance of uh, planting trees and the quality of trees when they're planted and how to manage uh, young stands. And we can't lose sight of the fact that this is still a nursery issue too. Everything starts from seed. And so a lot of genetic work is done um, to get a certain type of tree 30 years later. And it all starts in the cone, seed, the horticultural process of growing those trees can't be um, lost in this because it's pretty, you mentioned our unit, we're agriculture and forestry, and I think this is a great project to show how that can overlap with uh, even agronomy, with bare root production and horticulture, and then going out into the uh, management part, which is forestry. And so what I'd like to see with all the enhancements in genetics that's been done with seed production in seed orchards and cone harvesting is looking at different longleaf genetic sources, getting the culls, the sonderegers from those sources, and doing more studies to see how do, how do sonderegers compare within sonderegger populations with either high or low or medium genetic quality. And, and that's a big um, difference from 1922 when they were described as an inferior tree. Now we've got all of this enhanced genetics where we're producing loblolly and pine tree, uh, excuse me, longleaf in nurseries that have these enhanced qualities. And we still throw sonderegers away from those enhanced seed lots. And so maybe they are still um, not producing viable timber. Maybe they're not. And so that's something that I think um, is going to stem from this, at least, you know, Kelsey's focused on that. We might we might could incorporate a little bit of that in her work, uh, but I could see undergraduates in the next two or three years working on some you know straightforward little projects, looking at quality of root production, uh, comparing between seed lots of longleaf and those coals, and it could be other parameters as growth. It could be survival, all that. You definitely went into my next question, <laughs> which you know. With our institution really being the only institution that's working on this research, um, that's a big deal um, for, you know, some people may say little Louisiana Tech and our, you know, our South Campus working on these things and breaking these stereotypes within, you know, Sonderegger seedlings. Um, and, you know, my question is, what does this mean for our South Campus and the opportunities for our students? And you touched on it with possibly bringing in undergraduate students. Um, does this mean more research for our, you know, graduate level students. Does this mean, you know, maybe possibly more researchers coming into our South Campus? You know, what does that mean to you as a student, Kelsey? I think that is definitely um, a possibility with bringing in more students, but we have to be careful. Um, I'm, I am confident in saying that, yes, we are probably one of the few people that are interested in looking at Sondreger, um as a commercially viable species or just, you know, looking at it, period, and describing it, um, because I know that interest has never really been there before, and I didn't even know what a Sonderegger tree was until probably, what, a year ago? <laughs> Same. I learned um, about two months ago. <laughs> <laughs> so, actually, the first time I heard about it was um, 
after I had graduated and last summer I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do if I wanted to go to graduate school or not and somehow or another the stars aligned and this project was born um, which Dr. Jackson had been a part of it already with um, other researchers in the southeast region looking at Sonderegger but I'm kind of catching the back end of this project and really um, running with it, I guess you could say. But um, I think there, I think that goes just to say um, there are opportunities everywhere, really. You just have to realize them and recognize them when they come to you and not be too um, afraid to take those when they, when they come knocking, and you have to be able to recognize that. Um, but I think just being open-minded about different opportunities that come your way also um, is a very strong thing to remember. Um, as an undergraduate student, when I was first offered to do some research uh, work with Dr. Jackson, I had absolutely no idea what kind of work I wanted to do or was even interested in, right? Right. <laughs> Um, but I remember our conversation looked like, um, you know, he, he told me, well, we could work on whatever you would like. And I said, well, I don't really know what that is. He said, well, I know what I'm interested in. And I'm like, well, I know too, baby trees. And that doesn't sound interesting to me, (laughs) but here we are, uh, probably two years later and I'm loving every minute of it. Um, so I think that just being open to research in general is a great way for students to start and find their passion. And who knows, there could be another student after me um, who comes in and also wants to work with Sonderegger Pine. But uh, we do have to have the faculty to um, really lead that, basically, in the future if we're going to have more students um, be active in this um, in this theme of, of, of work. Right. And you kind of mentioned a couple weeks ago when we met that you were possibly thinking about getting your doctorate and this research kind of is leading you to possibly pursue that and look at that opportunity and keep that open-mindedness. And, and I think that that's great that we have students finding their passion here at Louisiana Tech through research. What do you think from a, you know, faculty standpoint about these opportunities for faculty and students? Right. It's it's important. And I think a lot of students come into college and they obviously don't realize these opportunities exist. I think a lot of times, um, you know, it takes time for them to uh, understand um, that there's there's traditional boundaries in place between their professors and them. But you can come talk to us and you need to. It's important. The mentoring process will never begin until you start asking questions and um faculty have to recognize which students stand out and they don't necessarily have to stand out with grades. Uh, I'll take a hardworking C average student over one that's not hardworking and making straight A's all day long. It's, it's important for them to understand what's important to the faculty member if they're going to take on an undergraduate project, because if they're taking the faculty member's time, it's, it's important because especially here at tech, we're, you know, we're heavy teaching. And so the extra time we have, we, we want it to be meaningful. And so I have worked with under an undergraduate student one time that 
that I uh, did not uh, pursue a project with them because I could tell it wasn't going to work out, and I didn't waste either one of our time with that, and it was respectfully uh, done and, and was no problem. But but uh, the undergraduates I've worked with have most of the time um, I've approached them or they have even approached me uh, about it. And when you look at it, it's only been really five students over the last 10 years that I've been here that we've really dove down into a, a project where presentations were given at numerous meetings. And, and from three projects I've worked on with undergraduates, we have three peer-reviewed publications. Kelsey's just came out in print uh, yesterday. So that was pretty, pretty interesting uh, from being here today talking about her research. So that was an unrelated trial to this that she worked on as an undergrad. But going back to what it could do for South Campus, I mean, it brings in collaborators like the Forest Service collaboration that we're talking about with the fire tolerance uh, to Sonda Rager. Uh, in the near future, we may be getting uh, some more expertise on South Campus through uh, uh, maybe a new uh, building and, and engineering involved in that and possibly having some presence from from other other entities in that building and and that just brings more collaboration uh people are going to hear about it they're going to talk about it and that could bring in more students opportunities start to happen whenever you get more people and um these types of things you know uh, having this opportunity with with you is is good for people to hear it and then they talk to someone and i think all of that is uh is you know stacks up to give us great opportunities uh, on South Campus, and there's a lot of other things going on too. Um, you know, I just think it's really good that this project overlaps well in agriculture and forestry. It's got horticulture, it's got agronomy, it's got silviculture, uh, it's got pathology, it's got physiology. Um, you know, if we put some cows out there, we'd have some some animal science, and so you could you could do a yeah, lot. We could with throw it. it all in there. Yeah, you could <laughs> you put it all in there. Yeah, it's it's all about um, you know finding your passion and finding it what makes your heart sing. I know that we always talk about that in our office, um, but it is just wonderful the opportunities that our students are having on South Campus and um, the things that y'all are doing and the things that y'all are pursuing, and it um, gives me hope for you know our lumber industry and our agricultural you know, areas and, you know, what that looks like in the next 20, 25 years. We're going to have a bunch of Sondra trees out there, aren't we? <laughs> That's the goal. <laughs> Let's hope. I always thought it was crazy um, whenever I sat down and spoke with you all about how we're just throwing away trees when, you know, there are people saying let's plant more trees and whether that's for commercialization or, you know, to make the world a little bit um give us a little bit deeper breath of that fresh air, you know? Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've, I've had some, some ideas about how we can use them. And, and you know, traditionally what happens with people that, uh, or what I've run into with, with uh, working with nurseries over the years is once you're in it, all of us are guilty. You get into this, you know, routine of doing things one way, you're going to keep doing them that way. Even when you have proof, it can be done better, uh, you know, you're going to go with what's comfortable. And if it's throwing away the Sonderegers is more comfortable to you than that, or you can't sell them. I understand, you know, the uh, idea of wanting to get them out of your way. Um, but what could we use them for? You know, there could be another potential wood product that could be generated from them if they only grow 10 years and we cut them all down. It could be that you interplant them. Uh, maybe it's a site that's not conducive for um, traditional planting of 
loblolly pine. You know, uh, they they have the um, characteristics of both of both parents, and so they're going to grow faster than longleaf, and they're going to have some qualities of uh, longleaf that that uh, are advantageous. And so, there could be some some qualities there that are uh, you know appealing to some. I've thought about them being used in the landscape, just as uh, maybe for erosion control, you know, some some reason. And there's going to be some maybe uh, pushback because of the potential for them to back cross back genetically and produce more, uh, you know, diluted seed or things like that. But it's not going to matter a whole lot if you're not collecting them to be grown. So there there could be a use. We just have to, you know, be broad in our thinking. You have to look at it from a different perspective and, mm-hmm. you know, and see what works and what doesn't work. And that's all, that's what research is, is looking at things from a different perspective, working things out, seeing what works, what doesn't work. And I think that that's the beautiful thing about research, especially in this circumstance, you know, or in this situation with these trees that, you know, we, we have to look at it from a different perspective because there isn't much of a perspective to look at it from right. in terms of the literature of only having like, what did we say, five or six pieces out there? There is... I can think of probably two that actually look at Sonderegger and compare it with either of its parent species. Um, And those were, gosh, published back in the 60s and 70s. And really any other literature that you find that dedicates any sort of portion to uh, Sonderegger, typically it's just a paragraph summed up into it's a lemme tree, don't use it for for wood products basically and that's the extent of it and it that's kind of a blessing and a curse a curse because i don't have much to go off of except for what is in the literature about um both parent species which is a boatload um but a blessing in that i can just kind of take this project and as a blank slate and just run with it so well, Louisiana Tech, we're going to be the ones to publish some more about it. So <laughs> we're going to do a great job doing that. Well, thank you all both so much for joining me today on the Beyond 1894 podcast. It was honestly such a joy to have you all. I honestly have loved hearing about these trees over the last month or so. So um, do you all have anything else that you all want to add? Keep planting. Amen. <laughs> Keep planting. Okay. Well, thanks for joining us today on the Beyond 1894 podcast. We'll see y'all next time. Thank you for listening to Beyond 1894. Please subscribe and rate us wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information about this episode, check out our show notes. Beyond 1894 is produced by Louisiana Tech University's Office of University Communications.